Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, welcoming you to The Enemy of My Enemy. This was my second AVP fanfiction, and to be fair, it was one of the more popular of the two, ironically. It was one of the ones that I like to describe as, as a gateway fiction. It was one of the ones that a lot of people basically found me through, so they started reading my other stuff, like you know, Now Radiance, Hybrid Wars, Hunter Hunted, Chronicles... It was Enemy of Enemy that basically introduced a lot of people to me as a writer. And it it, it got more hits than Hunter Hunter did, which, given that that was the original, was kind of unusual. But I think it's just the spirit of the whole thing, pun totally intended for those that have already read it. So, I, I think it's time for us to start this new chapter and uh, for me to basically read you the improved version. I mean, obviously it's going to be a little rough around the edges for me to read it, because I'm not exactly a paid voice actor or anything else, but I still hope you enjoy my rendition of it. And uh, as always, if you can like, subscribe, share it around wherever you can. You can always always leave uh, the comments at the fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, my own website, ghostnobody.com, though if you go on that one it'll have to be on the Redux version, which is the redone version which has all sorts of improvements to bring it up to my grammatical standards of today and does have some slight ads here and there. Like They're not exactly few and far between, but some little sections are get redone, but in order to find those, you have to reread the whole thing. So that's up to you. But obviously just leave the word podcast in the title so that I know which one you're talking about. So, without further ado, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, Welcome to Enemy of My Enemy. Oh, and the usual legal disclaimer before I do. I don't own AVP, that's owned by their own studio, so eh, I just own the spirits, crazy tales, Yujuta hunting girls, eh, all that sort of fun stuff. They're all mine. Let's get on with the show. The Enemy of My Enemy by Ghost Nobody. Prologue New Britannia, a shining jewel in humanity's race to colonise the stars. Started life much the same way as any of the other human colonies, a wild, untamed place full of mystery and intrigue, which humanity had conquered through its sheer force of will and determination. Or at least that's what the brochures would have had you believe anyway. It used to be called LV-476 when it was first colonised by the company for its rich mineral deposits, but after the discovery of a substance called hydronite, in the water, the, co- the colony bloomed into a thriving city in a matter of a sh- few short years. Hydronite was an unlimited source of free energy, spectacularly complex hydrogen molecule that could be used to produce an obscene amount of energy for a very, very small amount of the stuff. And given that the water on the planet was similar to Earth, and the fact that it was 70% water, made for a very powerful industrial machine indeed. But what was better was the fact that when it was burned or used in a fusion process, it produced no harmful emissions or toxic waste. It simply produced water and oxygen. And given that water produced itself would reintroduce itself into the atmosphere and become recombined again with the unique elements found there, this rare atmosphere and this planet, it would simply end up containing yet more hydronite. It was truly a natural marvel and it produced an unlimited source of energy which the colonists capitalised on. Now, when they discovered this, the colonists had been under the contract to a Wayland-Yutani company for exclusive mineral mining mites. 
So in other words, any mineral that they found and extracted from the place, they had to be sold to Wayland yutani But after a rather smart solicitor, who had been given up the bar for a new chance at life, went over the contract, they found the hydronite was not part of this agreement, as it only covered any fossil or mineral types. It didn't cover any liquids or gases found. So rather than rub it in Wayland yutanis faces, they simply kept quiet and carried on selling them the minerals, which kept them happy and out of their hair for a while. While on the quiet side, they began an extensive process of switching over all their power systems to run on hydronite. This meant that everything they sold to Wayland yutani even the crappy prices, was returning much more than the company had ever intended, simply because everything they dug up was returning nearly 100% profit, because hydronite made all the power consumptions and extractive process pretty much run for free. By the time Wayland yutani discovered what the colonists were doing, it was way too late. The colony had transformed itself from a simple town to a city and then into a sprawling white megacity in less than a hundred years. They had so much economic might and legal clout that every attempt to claim that Wayland yutani attempted to make to the wondrous Hydronite was shot down in every court they took it to. So by way of petty revenge, the company cut all ties with the colony and refused to buy any of its mineral exports. But it was way too little, too late. The leaders of the colony had foresaw this eventuality and taken steps of their own to counter them, and they began putting out feelers to the rest of the galactic community. By now the colony had made contact all over the galaxy, and with the legal shackles now removed... They were able to start up trade with other colonies and with other companies. Even trading with the Yejuta, who had since the end of the hybrid wars, as humans called them, or the purity wars that they'd called them, had become rather hospitable. Well, to the right humans, as they called them. New Britannia provided them refined hydronite to power their massive clan ships in exchange for various technologies and weapons. In fact, it was now rather common occurrence for the planet to have one of these massive ships in orbit for refuelling. Pretty soon, pretty much every landmass on the planet had been colonised, and New Britannia had become a shining galactic hub of trade and commerce, not to mention a true melting pot of cultures, and even species, as the planet attracted others to move there in its new hope of this new life. truly had become a paradise beyond what the original colonists had imagined since they'd first struck soil there. But despite all their technological marvels and economic clout, they were not prepared for what was to come their way. A true horror of unbound magnitude that moved with relentless force, tearing through any and all unlucky enough to get in its way, was sweeping across their happy, peaceful world. And by the time they became truly aware of it, it was already too late. Chapter 1. Pushing the Envelope The first noise he became aware of was a highly irritating repetitive beeping noise. It seemed to pierce the darkness of his skull like a nail being repeatedly struck into a raw nerve. The noise was so irritating and painful, it seemed to be dragging him towards it at high speed. And despite his protest, it dragged him almost screaming into a world filled with light. The first thing he saw as he opened his eyes was a world of blurry light as his eyes attempted to focus. His head felt like it was filled with mud now, 
and every thought felt like it was trying to fight its way to the surface, like a bubble. The first one to make it was, what the hell is going on? As his vision started to clear, he became aware of a green light passing over him repeatedly, and it hurt his eyes to look at it, so he shielded them. Then a very mechanical female voice announced that he'd passed all medical checks, and welcomed him back from hypersleep, before announcing that he'd been in stasis for three Earth months. As the green light had now stopped frying his vision, he was able to properly focus his eyes and to see what was born on the glass in front of his face. With a series of whirs and clicks from all around him, the glass lifted up and away from his face. Instantly he felt a rush of air coming in from all around him, and his body now exposed the outside atmosphere, outside of the tube he was in. Suddenly a face appeared in front of him. It happened to be a rather pretty young black woman with dreadlocks, that kind of made her look like an upside-down Medusa, with a massive smile plastered on her face. "'Wakey-wakey, Aiden, It's time to start the party!' she said with a rather loud and enthusiastic voice that kind of hurt his groggy head. "'Eh? What? Party? What party?' he asked as he tried to shake the mud out of his skull. Slowly but surely he could feel memories like bubbles rising to the surface in his head and popping back into reality. Oh, come on now, O'Connor. Don't tell me that a mighty reaper is actually human and suffers from hyperamnesia like the rest of us lowly mortals, the black woman said with an upside-down grin that seemed to light up her whole face. Ah, bloody heart, Tina, he said as her name popped back into his head. Tina Fuller was the team doctor and a damn good one at that. Fully trained and experienced battlefield surgeon. The amount of times he'd seen her pulling bullets out of people while others were pretty busy putting them back in was unreal. When the shit royally hit the fan, the playful young American woman would turn into the Queen of Ice. The contrast was absolutely amazing to witness. While not working, she was the life and soul of the party, and she was always running around either pranking the others on the team or planning to prank them. Hence her love of making Aiden blush as she was the only one out of all of them who could find the chinks in otherwise his super-strong armour. But when the chips were down, there was no other person in existence you wanted to see coming to get you. In fact, it was her steely nerves under fire that had earned her the codename, Ice. Still grinning, she leaned down into his pod and gripped his right arm, and pulled him upright. For the briefest of seconds, he was potently bemused by the sight that met him, as she pulled him away from his bo- pulled his arm away from his body, and he saw what looked like a black robotic arm. But then the memories of that day popped back into his skull, and he gr- soft groan escaped him. As she got him sat up, right Tina moved around in front of him and shone a light into his eyes, while running a small hand scanner over him. She was about five foot five and pretty well built, looking like someone had chiselled a well muscle frame out of black solid granite. It didn't help that she was dressed in a set of tight, short, grey undershorts and matching undertop that hugged her curves rather perfectly. Her long dreadlocks ran right down her back to her wide hips. Any sickness? Nausea? She asked in a more professional voice now. He shook his head, but more to clear it than raining rudder it than to answer the question, but it served both purposes. Well, your biosystems are looking good. Mighty good, actually, she said with a grin returning and giving him a small wink to go with it. He gave her a small, non-committal smile. 
You remember that Tina always had made a point to flirt with him at every opportunity. Probably because she knew it made him blush. And she got a kick out of it. But the rub was he could never tell if she was serious or not. She never did anything like this with the others. Only with him. She continued scanning, running it all over the side of his head, followed by his chest, and then finally his arm. Cybernetics and nanosystems have all woken up, and they're all showing green. So, you're good to go, Reaper, she said with a smile. Then she closed down the scanner, and with a final wink out of him, she walked out towards another pod. As he watched her go, he couldn't help but watch the way she rolled her hips as she walked. He couldn't help but thinking that she did really have a rather nice bum. But before she got to the next pod, she glanced back over her shoulder and caught him looking at her. She gave him a grin and cocked her hip, which caused him to blush so bright he could actually feel his face lighting up silently. He cursed under his breath. Looks like she'd won this round. As he looked around the hypersleep bay, Aiden could see nine other pods of his team. They were all opening up, one at a time. And he could see various heads poking up out of the pods, each sharing the same look of confusion and disorientation that he had. He empathised with them, as he truly hated hypersleep. Always felt like a few bottles of tequila and a joyride in a cement mixer. Aidan O'Connor was a member of a team known only as the Spirits. They were a covert operation that specialised in dealing with the weird and worst kind of problems problems. They were set up to operate outside the usual rules of engagement and to deal with circumstances that no other unit had the capacity to deal with. It was set up by the governments of the various species to counter threats that fell outside of the expertise of the normal armies, like Earth's colonial marines, or even the special forces like the Yajuja Holcraft Corps. The cells were made up of exceptional individuals, taken from a massive variety of walks of life. Everything from military, police detective, private eyes, bounty hunters, doctors and even scientists. The criteria for joining the spirits was exceptionally high. And you never applied to join. There were no forms to fill out, no job interview. They simply approached you. And if they met, you met their standards, then you simply disappeared. No trace of your previous life would ever be allowed to remain. You simply evaporated into the ether like a ghost. The training was the most intense of any military anywhere. Physical training that pushed every operator to their breaking point and beyond. Each operator was trained in everything from advanced combat tactics right through to scientific analysis. They were trained to operate as a team or as individuals. So they needed to know every element of each other's jobs while at the same time maintaining their own speciality. This meant that if a member of the team was either incapacitated or killed, then any other could step right into their shoes and carry on as if nothing had happened. Or if the operator found themselves working alone, they would have a huge plethora of skills to call upon to get the job done. Climbing slowly out of his hypersleep pod, Eason placed his feet on the cold metal floor of the bay. The sudden cold shock helped to clear his head of some of the remaining mud and helped to focus his mind. Pushing off away from the hypersleep pod, he wobbled a little bit on his unsteady rubber band legs. The first few steps were always the worst after hypersleep. They were always the gateway to a good day, where you reached your locker with a proud strut, or a not-so-good day, where you kissed the bulkhead face first. Today was not a good day, and Aidan groaned as he pushed himself up off the floor in a presser position, 
before climbing up onto his knees to catch his breath. As he did, he was glad that he wasn't the only one of the team getting intimate with the bulkhead. To his left, he noticed a rather large frame lifting itself off the bulkhead before letting loose a stream of muffled curses in Yajuta. The large frame belonged to the team's infiltration and tracking specialist, Tashara. And although the sight of an eight-foot-tall female Yajuta kissing the bulkhead before swearing at it was kind of funny, Aidan held his tongue. The codename wasn't Inferno for nothing. He had personally witnessed this fiery female tear enemy combatants limb from limb with her bare hands, and that was when she was calm and collected. When she was pissed off, it was like a Mack hover truck with feet. Getting to his feet, he stumbled in the female Yujuta's direction. You okay, Tashiara? he asked, offering her a hand up. The young female looked up at him with fire in her bright eyes, but as soon as she saw whose hand was being offered to her, the fire cooled somewhat. Aidan knew there were very few that Tashari would ever dare accept help from. The very proud and stubborn female would rather die than admit she needed help with anything. But for some reason, he was one of these very few. I poking hate hate her sleep, she said in a gruff voice before accepting the offered hand. Aidan pulled the massive female up from the floor and quickly steadied her as she wobbled unsteadily on her feet. As he looked up at her, Aidan couldn't help but be reminded of an urban camo patterns he'd seen, looking at the colours of her skin. It was grey and white with black swirls and patches. She shook her head to steady her balance, and it caused her long predlock-like appendages to whip around him and catch him across the side. Hey, steady on with those things or we'll both wind up on the floor again, he said as he deflected some of them with his free arm. Tashari simply made a humph noise but he could have sworn he saw a faint smile flash over her mandibles. If we fall, then we fall together, she said, and he laughed softly as he helped the large female to steady herself as they slowly made their way towards the lockers. He did have to admit that she was rather striking for a shooter, but he'd never really looked at their species in that way, despite being told more than once by various members of their species that his multitude of scars made him rather attractive to the females of their kind. All he could say to this was, he had really odd tastes if he thought if they thought the scars were their thing, because he thought this, his scars made him look horrific. At first he thought they were just trying to wind him up. Although Yujuta were not exactly known for their sense of humour, when they did decide to play a prank, it was always a real fucking doozy as Aidan had found out when he'd spent quite an amount of time with their species, when he'd trained with the Halkrath. But it had become rather glaringly obvious that they'd not been joking, when he'd narrowly managed to dodge the amorous attentions of more than one female member of the Halkrath. In fact, it had been given him a lot of respect for their combat prowess, as he remembered some of the particular sessions of hand-to-hand combat, where one of their senior instructors had taken rather a liking to him. She decided to impress him with her melee prowess by pummeling the shit out of him and pinning him into the ground. The words that she whispered into his ears as her heavy frame pinned him to the training mat still sent shivers down his spine, and not good ones either. But he did have to say that none of the Yujuta females that he'd met there had come close to Tishari in form of looks. Her face was very feminine, her eyes burned with a deep, rich intelligence. In fact, most of those he had met in the Halkrath were missing at least one body part, 
which for some reasons always seemed to be an mandible or an eye. And those that were okay looking ones. But despite having been with the Halcrafts for a number of years, Tashari seemed to still have all of her limbs and appendages intact. She had a fair share of scars, but somehow they just seemed to add to her already formidable and rather striking form. And given all the combat she'd seen, she was either really lucky or really good at her job. And having seen her fight, Aiden was convinced it was a bit of both. Fortunately, both his and Tashara's lockers were right next to each other, so hobbling bandy-legged pair didn't have to make any diversions and headed straight, albeit in a very wobbly line, to their destination. Letting go of the massive Yajuta female, she proceeded to lean on her locker door, and he did the same with his. They shared a knowing glance before each of them turned and placed their left hands on the biometric scanner to the left side of each locker door. A green line of light instantly swept over Eden's organic bathing hand, bathing it in a soft lime green light. Bioprint accepted. Identifying. Sergeant Agent O'Connor. Codename. Reaper. Spirit Team 6. Assassination and Sabotage Specialist First Class. Access granted. A female computerised voice said rather loudly from his, from his left. From his right he heard. Bioprint accepted. Identifying Corporal Deshari Shadowsight. Codename Inferno. Spirit Team 6. Infiltration and special, Tracking Specialist First Class. Access granted. Coming from Tashara's locker. The large metallic grey door in front of Aiden slid open with a hiss. These lockers were more like mini wardrobes than lockers. Each of the team pretty much lived out of them, so they needed to be pretty big to contain all of their gear. But unlike pretty much every other team or the member of the team, who decorated the inside of their lockers with pictures of people or places or even posters, Aidens was completely bare. Spike, the tech and computer specialist, whose real name was Harry Rald, had always managed to make a point of teasing him about this. Harry was a pretty skinny black kid from one of the colonies who spoke with the deepest voice you ever heard in your life. Which was pretty funny, because when you see how animated and hyperactive he was, He was the baby of the team, having only just turned 20. But he had a mind like a computer and an eidetic memory to boot. Watching him work on computer code was like watching a composer composing a sonny. He was recruited when he was imprisoned after he was caught hacking into Weyland-Yutani space stations and turning the place into a giant disco. The kid was ever the prankster, even now after he'd been through spirit training. And although he used to piss the team off quite regularly with his shenanigans, like the time he'd made Tina's medicom sink Yangi doodled Andy every time she pressed a button, he was like everyone's kid brother. They were all kind of fiercely protective of him, even Tashari, who he was forever pranking in the vainous hope of making the massive Yuzhuna smile, even faintly, even if it was only just once. She would be the first to march into hell to beat the devil's ass before carrying him out to the but then she'd probably feel the first to knock him straight back through said gates when she found out that her hollow mirror had been reprogrammed to make her look like a six-year-old human girl again. A bear locker is like a bear heart. You need to fill it with those you love, or want to love, he'd always say. And then there was that day he'd had the bright idea to hack into Aiden's locker's locks and put up a poster inside it. Aiden might have laughed at it if it hadn't been a digital mock-up of Tashari posing in a big bikini. Albeit a rather good one, 
the level of detail had been rather astounding. It looked so good that it pretty much looked like the real deal. The problem was she'd been standing right next to him when he'd opened the locker door. At first Aidan thought Tashara was going to go nuclear and stuff him into his own locker head first. But slowly she just turned on the spot and pretty soon there were loud yelps of I'm sorry and it was a mistake along with one final one of I was just trying to help. I thought Reap fancied you. I was trying to give him a little bit of a push. You'd make a great couple. Being heard from all around the ships accompanied by the sounds of running footsteps and the thunder of a whole lot of angry Yajuta female in hot pursuit. As he was putting on his skin-tight black thermal regulation suit, Aidan softly chuckled to himself at the memories of that came back to him. Tashara, was doing the same next to him, looked at him curiously. "'What's funny?' she asked, and he shook his head. "'Oh, nothing. I just remembered that poster Spike put up, put up in my locker that time,' he said, smiling at her. Suddenly he saw an unusual look in her eyes. It kind of looked like hurt.' but it was only there for the briefest of seconds before they returned to normal. Then she just made a noise like a humph while looking away from him. Aidan suddenly gave himself a mental slap. He'd realised he suddenly just probably hurt Tashara's feelings by making it sound like he was taking the piss out of the way she looked. He'd always been really poor with women. He had a real habit of saying the first thing that came into his head without thinking about it, and sometimes, a lot of the time, he really didn't like they really didn't want to hear it. He could just couldn't understand them or how they felt. It wasn't for a lack of confidence or anything like that. He just didn't know how to talk to them, or how to read the subtle hints and signals they gave off. It had become a standing joke among the team really, that not only was he immortal, but he'd likely spend the rest of eternity alone. As he strapped on his battle armor over his thermal suit, Aidan kept glancing at Tashari out the corner of his eye. He couldn't be sure, but he could have sworn that she was stopping herself from looking in his direction. Every time she went to move her head in his direction, she would suddenly notice and snap her head back the other way. She was definitely angry with him. There was some reason again that he couldn't just identify. Whether she was angry with him, she always acted differently to when she was angry at the rest of the others. When she was angry at one of them... Everyone on the fucking ship knew about it, even those in hypersleep, because nothing wakes you up quicker than a jute battle roar. But with him, she would just ignore him. As he snapped his cybernetic arm through the modified chess piece of the spirit battle armour, he decided he was going to have to try and make it up to her somehow. He glanced down at his locker while deep in thought. It now only contained his helmet, as he was wearing the rest of his spirit suit, as it had been named by the team. It was a module armour made up of snap and lock sections that were covered in what kind of resembled interlocking dragon scales which were made of titanium, which is titanium's bigger and badder cousin. While the lightweight black scaled armour com- completely encased the rest of his body, his cybernetic arm was completely exposed, right up to the shoulder, where it met his chest piece and was sealed to prevent the internal atmosphere leaking out. This arm's outer armour was made of a substance called deuteranium, which made even tritanium look like wet shit roll. But the stuff was exceptionally expensive and was rare a fuck to get hold of. It was almost exclusively used in the construction of battleship hulls and reactor cases. But this arm was completely encased in quarter-inch thick deuteranium skin, with all of its internal components being made out of the same stuff. 
It was almost certainly more expensive than the entire ship they were currently on, and every single piece of equipment inside it, times two. As he picked up his armoured helmet, Aidan glanced at the now apparently sulking Tashari. She was only about halfway through putting her armour on. Her pace had apparently been slowed by whatever was on her mind. Aidan searched for something to say to hopefully make up for her feeling bad, and in typical fashion, he settled for the first thing that popped into his head. You know what, Tashari? Spike did a pretty good job with that poster. I should have kept it. I think you'd look pretty good in a bikini, he said with a smile as he walked past her hurriedly as he headed for the meeting room. His pace was so rapid he didn't have time to notice Tashari's mandibles drop open as she stared at his back with a mixture of confusion and shock in her eyes. As he quickly made his way out of the room, his heart was hammering in his reinforced chest the entire time. Well, given that no projectiles hit him in the back, it must have made him feel better. Or at least that Aidan argued with himself as he headed up the corridor. Aidan was the first to arrive in the Ghost Shadow's meeting room, which everyone simply called Camelot. It was a circular room which the centre had a large circular hollow projector, which pretty much doubles as the place for the team to stick their drinks on while they were discussing their current job. It was a massive silver-coloured table with a glowing green disc in the middle of it, and given it was surrounded by ten chairs and the name of the team that had given the meeting room, it just seemed rather fitting that they called it the round table. Standard procedure was none of the operators in the cell was told anything about the job until they reached their destination coordinates. From there, the ship would hook up to a comms boy, which would have been left for them, with a heavily encrypted set of orders and instructions. Each spirit cell was made up of ten members, eight ground operators, a pilot who could fly anything, they were given from a freighter to a dreadnought-class battlecruiser, or even a Yashuta clan ship, and an officer who acted as a SIGINT, or Signals Intelligence Officer. Their job was giving the team orders while providing real-time intelligence updates, using ship's sensors and anything else they could hack into on the ground. Most people would have thought the last two jobs would have been the sweetest gigs, being on the ship far away from the shit that inevitably would hit a variety of fans but all spirit officers were vastly decorated veterans who cut their teeth on a variety of battlefields and sitting in one place was never usually their foray. But it was their vast experience that usually meant that they saw problems before the team did. As for the pilot, they would be expected to get the ship in no matter the risk and extract the team for whatever shitstorm they found themselves in after the job was complete. And if you think flying a couple of tons of bullet and missile magnet into a combat zone is easy or fun, then you're the crazy one. Less than a minute after Aiden had taken his seat, Spike bounded into the room. Reaper, how the fuck did you do that? What in the hell did you say to Inferno to a... You have to tell me, man. He almost yelled as he dropped into the chair next to Aiden. It was pretty much second nature for each of them to call each other by their code names rather than their real ones but his words caused Aiden's heart to sink. Ah, shit. She's pissed at me, ain't she? He said with a voice filling with dread. Spike's face broke into a confused smile. Pissed? The fuck you on about, man? She fucking smiled. Spike almost yelled at him. Aiden looked confused at this. What? He said to check that he'd heard him correctly. Spike's animated rant continued at this. I know, right? I mean, I didn't think it was even possible for Inferno. 
he started to say before he could finish, more boots could be heard heading down the corridor towards the meeting room, and he shushed himself instantly. The next two to enter were an odd pair indeed, but they were a totally inseparable one as well. Where you found one, you never found the other one far away. One was a six-foot-eight mountain of a human male, who went by the highly original code name of Tank. His real name was Gregor Haverson, and he was a rather gruff and no-nonsense Scotman, with flame-red hair and wild beard, combined with his fierce blue eyes, made him look rather intimidating. But once you got to know him, you realised he was the biggest-hearted man you were ever likely to meet. He was a living embodiment of the term gentle giant. Well, unless you pissed him off. Then he was the living embodiment of the term run, fucking run. Tanks was the team's weaponsmith and heavy weapon specialist. And if you weren't intimidated enough by the man himself, then they were definitely going to pay respect to Bertha, his pet pulse minigun. Bertha was a highly customized minigun that he'd made himself combining parts from smart guns and pulse rifles and into a minigun and together into a rather fearsome machine that could easily kick out 10,000 rounds a minute. Combined with the smart tracking systems the gun had, it could pretty much lock every single round on target. Stood next to him was Misa Grayscale. She was only about half the size of Gregor, but she was more than a match for him in terms of personality. She was a lively and easily excitable member of the Scalathor, they were a race of highly technologically advanced humanoid reptilians who humanity encountered shortly after the end of the hybrid wars. She was kind of reminded Aiden of a chameleon in the sense of her scale patterning and by the fact her skin seemed to change colour to reflect her moods. It was well known among the team that if it was a red day, stay the fuck away. Misa had also had a small horn on the tip of her snout that curved backwards towards the back of her head. She had told Aiden once when they were both drunk, that it was for a female to lock her mate in place so they couldn't run away while mating. He'd laughed at the time, but he'd never been able to pluck up the courage to ask her if she was actually joking since. But it'd be fair, it wasn't like she hadn't found it put it a good use on Gregor, as the pair of them were practically glued together. They'd met when the spirit team had been first formed and had hit it off immediately. What happened next was probably part of an inevitability but it still shocked everyone when they came back and found them both naked in each other's arms on the sofas in the common room. Before Gregor dropped his rather sizable frame into his own seat, he made a point of pulling out Mises' chair for her, and he got a very loving smile from his reptilian soulmate in return. She swished a rather long, thick tail out of the way before taking her seat at the round table as well. Mises was the team's assault and breaching specialist, if it would have been made, she could figure out a way to get into it. What are you two wee girlies looking so guilty about over there? Gregor asked in his gruff Highlands accent, which only seemed to get higher the angrier he got. A point that Spike had noted and made it one of his missions to get the big Scotman so angry that only dogs and animals knew what he actually was saying. He nearly achieved it too, when he got the big Scotman to set fire to his own beard with a modified laser trimmer. The whole team had been singing Burn in Love every time they saw him for days afterwards. Misa eyed them suspiciously. I bet they know why Inferno is smiling over all her mandibles out there, she said in a heavily accented English. Instantly both Aiden and Spike both started shaking their heads in denial. 
and before either of them could start coming up with excuses, they were joined with another two of the team. One, a blonde guy with the most piercing blue eyes you were ever likely in your life to see, called Doug Fowler. He was the team's interrogation and information retrieval specialist. His code name was Picasso, simply because he loved to paint in his downtime, and he was rather good at it too. Pretty much every one of them, the team, had one of his paintings in their bunk. Well, all except for Shari, who threatened to shove his brushes and oils somewhere that would be rather difficult for Ice to extract them if he even tried. She really hated having her picture taken, let alone drawn. With him was Whisper, or at least that was her code name. Her real name was Massilia Vol Blue. She was the quietest and most reserved member of the team. And most of the time, if you noticed that she was there, she meant that you were looking at her to begin with. She was so quiet that getting more than a sentence out of her seemed deemed to be some quite a privilege among the team. Hence, Whisper. For some reason, this had really surprised everyone when they'd first met her. Probably because of the misconception that a cat girl would somehow be playful and rowdy. But she was completely the polar opposite. It had kind of taken everyone aback a bit. She kind of reminded Aiden of one of Earth's long-lost feline species, called a bobcat. It's probably because of the little plumes of tan-coloured fur that stuck up off the tops of her ears, on the top of her head. She literally looked like every bit of bobcat that learned to walk on two legs. She was a member of a species called the Phalanus, who humanity had met just after they'd met Mesa's race. Her bright golden eyes seemed to bore right into your very soul when she looked at you, which is why everyone began talking nervously when she looked at them. She was the team's sniper and long-range combat specialist. "'What you all talking about?' Doug asked as he and Whisper took their seats at the round table. "'We were betting that one of these two know why Inferno's smiling her ass off out there,' Misa said, causing Picasso and Whisper to look at Spike and Aiden. "'I bet it's something to do with Reaper,' Doug said. Why would you think that? Aiden stammered nervously. Doug grinned broadly, showing his perfectly white teeth off. Simple. Because out of everyone here, you're probably the only one of us that could pull that off. And let's be honest, it's definitely not going to be Spike, is it? Look of pure rage? Yes. Look of I'm going to rip your arms off and beat you to death with them, then shove them up your battered arse? Most probably. Look of when I catch hold of that skinny fucker who put a party popper in my hypersleep bunk again? And then I'm going to shove a party popper up his ass and fire him out of an airlock? Most definitely. But smiling and looking happy? No, sir. Not a chance. That's definitely all you. Picasso said, still grinning. Hey! Spike said, sounding wounded. Yep, I agree, Misa said. Aye, definitely him, Gregory Gregor said. I also agree, Whisper said, caused everyone to look at her in surprise. Not only because she actually spoke but she could joined in with a team discussion outside of planning stuff, which was even rarer still. Aidan sighed heavily, as he could feel every set on the eyes in the room bearing in into him, including Spike's. Then an idea hit him, and he lifted up his side and arm and placed it elbow down and hand up on the table. All right then, yes, I do have a pretty good idea why, but if you want me to tell you, you're going to have to arm wrestle me for the answer, otherwise it goes to my grave, he said, smiling. Every set of eyes in the room rolled with exasperation at once. Who in their right mind is going to be stupid enough to arm wrestle you, laddie? 
I mean, I'd be tempted to give it a go if I hadn't seen you punch through a tritanium blast door and pull the guy back through the fucking wee hole with that fucking thing, Gregor said. And why is it going to take arm wrestling a match with you to ta- for you to tell us? Misa asked curiously. Because I'm going to need someone a hell of a lot stronger than me to protect me from her wrath if I do tell you, Aiden said with a wry smile. Just at that moment, the last two te- members of the group of operate- ground operators in the form of Ice and Inferno appeared in the doorway. Inferno was no longer smiling, but her first glance into the room was directed at Aiden, and a look of puzzlement and curiosity passed over her face as she saw him apparently challenging someone to an arm-wrestling match. Suddenly a mischievous smile passed over Misa's reptilian face, and Aiden saw it. Instantly his heart sank. Just the person we need. If there's someone, or anyone, here that stands a chance of beating him, it's you, Inferno, she said. Both her and Ice moved around the table to their seats, but her eyes never left Aiden. Beat him at what? And why? she asked curiously as she sat down. Well, Reaper here has a secret that he won't tell anyone, but we all really want to know what it is. And he's promised to tell us, but only if someone can beat him at arm wrestling, Misa said in a rather silky voice. Inferno glanced between them, and then at all the expectant table faces around the table, all looking at her now. But Aiden's eyes seemed to be screaming silently. And what would make you think that I'm stupid enough to even attempt such a thing? Even if I hadn't witnessed him rip a blast door off its mounting and throw it at a suicide bomber on an Alyssa Prime with my own eyes, I would still not rather wish to injure either myself or a valued teammate before a mission. Tashara said in a very matter-of-fact voice. Aiden instantly breathed an internal sigh of relief. There were collective groans around the room. But before the conversation could continue, two more people walked into Camelot. The first one instantly made every single one of them jump to their feet and snap to attention. At ease, spirits, Captain Francis Carter said in her cold but confident voice. She was a tall and very confident-looking black woman in her early forties. But time had not weathered her looks one bit. She was the only one of two in the room not wearing spirit battle armour, instead wearing an all-in-one black jumpsuit-like uniform that vaguely showed off her well-kept and very strong-looking frame. The only thing that detracted from her looks was a pretty nasty scar that ran from the top of her head right through her right eye to her chin. But even that wasn't really in a negative way. It was odd, but when looking at her, the sheer presence she gave off pretty much made it invisible. Her code name was Queen Bee. Behind her was another figure, and the last of their merry band, a short, stocky and very gruff-looking male, with a bald head and the widest brown beard you've ever seen in your life, stood with his arms crossed over his very barrel-like chest. It looked like an angry dwarf, from if he'd ever been a million years fit into a cockpit let alone be humanity's best pilot. But every single one of them had watched him pull off the impossible to pull their asses out of the fire more than once, like the one time he'd landed the ghost shadow on a battlecruiser, then took control of it and dived the whole thing into a planet's atmosphere to use it as a flak screen to protect the ghost shadow from ground fire, while following it in through the planet's atmosphere. His code name was Pegasus, but his real name was Duncan Bellwether. Queen Bee and Pegasus went to their seats at the round table and everybody sat back down. So what's the job here, boss? 
Spike asked, looking at their captain with a look of respect painted all over his face. She was the only one on the ship that didn't have the guts to pull a prank on. He'd rather tangle with an angry Yejuder any day of the week than piss off the Queen Bee. As of three months ago, New Britannia went completely dark. No response to hails or any attempt of communication of any kind, Captain said in a cut-glass accent. All of which gathered around here looked at each other with curious looks before returning their looks to her. Attacked, Aiden said. The captain's eyes flicked momentarily to him before she pressed a button on a small remote to her left arm. Instantly, a glowing green hologram of the planet New Britannia popped up from the centre of the round table. Unknown, but what we do know is multiple teams of all species have attempted to make contact and have failed, and not a single one of them has been heard from again. Humans, Ejuta, Phalenis, Scalathor, they've all sent in teams. First of all, there were all civilian aid teams, because it was a fear that some sort of natural disaster might have befallen them. But almost instantly after the team sat down, they were lost. Then each team stand in standard military in. But the same thing happened. Finally, they turned to their special forces of their own kind. She said, clicking the remote so that the image zoomed in to show New London, the main capital of the mega city of New Britannia. The same thing happened again, she said, looking at each one of them in turn. Tashara looked visibly shocked at this. The Halcroth? She asked, looking right at the captain. She shook her head. Lost. But that doesn't mean they're dead people. Each of us know the resourcefulnesses of these teams and their operators. There might be still a chance that some of them are alive down there. Certainly I know if anyone had a chance of surviving whatever's going on down there, it would be them. So let's lose hope or focus here. If the job wasn't shit tough and fucked up as hell hell, then they wouldn't have called us. We're the best of what each species here at this table represents, and we're sure as hell going to prove it, the captain said, again in her cut-glass British accent, looking at each of them in turn to punctuate each of her words. So what are her orders, Captain? Aidan asked. Simple, Reaper. Get the fuck down there, find whatever it is, and stop it. That's not possible. Locate any remaining surviving operators or civilians on the planet and get them the fuck out of there. But your first job, first and foremost, is to find out just what is going on down there, she said with a very finality to her voice. Intel? Pekakaso asked, and the captain shook her head. None. Fuck all. No comms, no com uplinks to link into. Hell, we can't even get into the traffic camera network down there. It's like somebody just turned off the entire goddamn planet, she said. Well... All except for that warning boy telling everyone to stay the fuck away. But not saying fuck all else. It would be nice if they were unplugging the planet they could have turned off those goddamn missiles and you shoot a plasma cannons, Pegasus said in his gruff voice. So no drop zone then, Misa asked looking at him. He shook his bald head. Not a chance, honey. New Britannia has got the most complex anti-ship flak system that's ever been built. Not even a wasp's fart could make it through that lot. He replied. Well, there's only one thing that can make it through, Aiden said, looking at him. And for the first time since they gathered, he allowed a small grin to cross his face. Aye, there is one thing, he said. Ah, oh, fuck, please don't say what I think you're going to say, Spike said, looking at Aiden. Looks like it's time to break out the devil door knockers again, he said with a grin. 
Ah, fuck, I fucking hate those things, Spike said, and the captain nodded approvingly at Aiden. Gear up. Get ready, spirits. You're going within one hour, she said, and with that, every one of them got to their feet and headed to the armory. And that was chapter one, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, so the spirit team is going to drop into New Britannia. Going to be a hell of a wild ride to get down there. But will they make it? Only one way to find out. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.